Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. We've been talking about, you know, God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to talk today about the relationship. And if you have your Bible, open it to John 135. We're going to look at some different scriptures. I thought about Xeroxing some scripture pages and and I may do that sometime, but I did that for a group for like seven years and they got so dependent on it that they had notebooks of it wasn't it wasn't your mom's group. It was a different group. It was with men and women at church and they would not bring their Bible. They would just bring their notebooks of and I just was like, no, this is a bad idea. So we kind of need to feel it and look at it and and see it um, because we're doing radio. I'm going to read it. And to me, this says the relationship, the beginning with Jesus and his disciples, but also our relationship with Christ right now. Um, I want you to notice something about Jesus. Uh, he asks a lot of questions. And even when he's asked a question, he asks questions. And we look at this in John 1.35. John stood with two of his disciples. Now, we know this is John the Baptist, and he has disciples, and he has men following him because he's the forerunner for Christ. And so he has disciples following him so that he can become lesser so that Jesus can become greater. Gosh, we're all to have that attitude always. And... um, And so looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak. These are John's disciples, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them, following him, said to them, What do you seek? So there's Christ's question right there. Jesus turned, he sees them following and says, What do you seek? And they see him, and they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? <laughs> Here's a question with a question. In John 139, Jesus says to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. And now it was about the 10th hour. And that actually means it was around 4 o'clock. So they spent the day with him. Um, Jesus asks those that want to follow him or that begin to follow him, What do you seek? And I think that's an interesting question because I believe with all of my heart that God means what he says when he says that nature shows who he really is. And that we don't really go to God going, God, I want to know if there's a God because we kind of know there's a God. It's more like, what are you seeking? You're seeking beyond that. All human hearts recognize that there is a creator God like in Romans 1.19, it says, That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through that which He has made, so they are without excuse. So He's not saying, Who are you seeking? Because He knows they're seeking God. Because it's just deep inside every human being, even if they don't want to admit it. There's this God 
seeking, like, well, what made that? Well, and what made that? And what made that? And what they made, you know, just that. They say that if you ask a lot of questions when you are small, or if you have a child that asks a lot of questions, that, that that's a brilliant child. And so that's my excuse for asking my mom 8 million, billion questions. Although I didn't turn out brilliant, but I've always thought, well, well what about that? And what about that? And not being afraid of questioning. And so here are the disciples. They're not afraid. And Jesus knows in their heart, they know God. They know they, they know that there is a God. They look around. They see. They've probably seen um, a baby born, and they're out in nature. And so he says to them, what do you seek? What do you seek? And we know that later Andrew says to his brother in John one forty one, we have found the Messiah. And so we know that they know he's the Messiah. So Jesus says, what do you seek? And the men answer Jesus by asking another question, just what we read earlier, which I think is interesting. Because if Jesus asked me a question, I think I'd like stand straight up and try to think of an answer. And then in this culture, in the Eastern culture, it's, you know, a question with a question. It's a very thoughtful process of, you know, what do you seek? Well, where are you going? You know, and the obvious meaning in that is we want to be with you. We want to be taught by you. We want to be where you are. And so he says that to, to them. What do you seek? And they say, where are you staying? We know that that means that they earnestly are seeking him. In other words, they're saying, where are you, Lord? I, I, I want to be taught. I want to be near. I want to be around you. I want to be around God. And there's such a difference in seeking God and, and actually... Um, wanting to be where he is. I want to just pretend like Jesus is asking you the same question right now. Um, You know there's a God. You know that he loves you. But Jesus is saying, you know, you're, you're here. You're near me. You're in this group that's studying about me. What do you seek? What do you seek? And I want to look at the different answers that the Holy Spirit just had come to me of different types of people and what they seek so that you can see, you know, wow, am I in an area where I'm just going to hit dead ends or am I really, truly seeking what what's going on? Because I feel like if, if we don't do everything in love and in honesty and in truth, it's like, why be here? You know, if I didn't really believe that Jesus was the son of God and that he loved me and loved you all and that we have a purpose in being here and that studying his word is good for all the things it's good for along with um, encouragement and strength and healing. And I, I mean, why be here? This craving, this craving to know God because he is, because he is everything he says he is and more. And that's what I, in my short lifetime, have found is that he's everything he says he is and more he's better than we can imagine him to be and so we shouldn't be afraid to want to get to know him so what do you seek some people seek to memorize god's law so their lives may be better that they may have the wisdom of god or they might impress others many of these seekers only want to live right and be right i'm sure you know a few think about it They want to live right. They want to be right. But unless this is done in a spirit of love, 
These can be the very persons who sound like a resounding gong. So it's not that they are doing, quote-unquote, bad things. It's just that if they don't have a spirit of love towards wanting to get to know God, they're the ones that sound like the resounding gong that's described in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal or a gong. And I've been around some people like this, not to judge them, but they know scriptures, they've memorized scriptures, they're very... um, lofty in the way that they can describe things um, way over my head. Some, sometimes maybe even they think they feel better than you feel better, but you just feel badly when you're with them. <laughs> That's all I know. And, um, and so what is this? I mean, what is this? I, I, I remember there's a lady that I, I overheard a conversation and <clears throat> she had pulled the new pastor to the side. And this was actually at a different church several years ago. And um, she said, I just want you to know that we are intellectuals here, and I do not want you to dumb down your sermons. And it's just kind of that attitude of, like, we're approaching the Bible, we are learning the Bible, we are learning scriptures. Well, honey, if you don't learn love, it's not worth nothing. And I know the word's anything, but seriously. And, you know, we can all kind of fall into that, and we need to just step back and go, that's not, that's not a good approach. You know, what do you seek? Oh, I seek to know more of the Word. I seek to know more Scriptures. No, why don't you seek to know more Jesus so you can love more and not so you can just be right? Oh, I seek to be right. Those people have so many friends, don't they? You know? Or what about just seeking to love others and... And then you can show what's right because you'll have earned a point in their lives to be heard. Some seek, this is another group, to see if Jesus' teachings fit in with their current lifestyle. According to what they already want to do, then they pick and choose what to believe. Okay, I promise you this happens more than you think. And I promise you that there are Christians out there that if, if, I mean, really, if you don't take the whole thing and you don't take everything Jesus said, then you're calling part of what he said, either he's deranged or he's a liar or the Bible's, you know, should be cut in half. I mean, so there's things in the Bible that I don't like. And there's things that I, I really wish that I could just, you know, say, oh, you know, let's all be friends. And, you know, there, there are things that I wish... In my imperfect way of negotiating, um, I feel like, oh, it would be so much easier to be an ambassador for Christ if it was just all friendly and everyone was included. Well, truth is exclusive. I mean, if something's true, then something is not true. Well, what about all of us that think that there is one way? Are we then being prejudiced against because we think there is one way? I mean, is multiple ways, is that, that's an answer to truth in somebody's mind. But if there is one way, then we're being persecuted against as well. And kind of flipping things around. I don't know, my my brain's wandering right now. Um, I was at a book publisher's meeting here in San Antonio, and this one I was publishing, Dare to be Rare, and I met with 
several book publishers, most of whom were from the Northeast and New York. And I just remember them saying, you know, we just don't accept scripture at face value. We're thinkers, you know. We, we just, they add their own ideas and their own truths. And I heard them say often, and, and I'm not saying this in a real, a real ridiculing way, but my, my Jesus just wouldn't do that, or my God just wouldn't do that, or the God I know just isn't like that. And I thought, you know, we can't pick and choose the personality of God. Once we get to know him, we know he's perfect and he's good, but he's also, he is a God of wrath, and we should be thankful for that because people aren't going to get away with all these things that they're doing. And someday we will all face judgment, and the only reason that we'll face judgment and be fine with it is because of the blood of Christ, because the blood that he shed for us. So why wouldn't we want to tell other imperfect human beings you don't need to have fear. Yes, we'll be facing judgment, but because of what Christ, God's Son, did, we don't have to be like the rest of the world. And the pitfalls of this way of um, approaching, like picking and choosing different parts of the Bible and saying, well, I believe in this, and I don't believe in this. And, and I, I mean, you, you, you all know, I can be super specific, like, uh, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in sex before marriage. Well, then that's fornication. You know that that you you gotta pick and you gotta choose instead of Jesus or not choose Jesus. And it's not that we don't have things that we need to change in our lives, but we know those things that we need to change in our lives versus an entire lifestyle. Um, that says, well, I'm a Christian, but my Jesus doesn't mind that I have multiple partners. Well, mine does. So, you know, we need to really look at who, who Jesus really is. There is a very serious pitfall in this in the book of Revelations in, in verses 22:18, It says, for I testify to anyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, God will take away from his part, from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. You know, my, my teenage daughter has been really on me and, and on kind of a roll about, we're not hearing very much about God's wrath, Mom. We need to hear about his wrath. And I'm like, well, that's because... You know, if a pastor stood up and said, I'm going to talk today about God's wrath, I think people would kind of look at their watches like, ah. How will people know how serious God is about adding and taking away and creating your own religion and your own Jesus that you're comfortable with unless we know this in the book of Revelations? How will we know? And then whatever we do, we're being watched. And you're being watched by usually those who are younger. And this was a sobering scripture for me to look at, to realize that no matter who I am, whether I'm a personality or a TV star, if, if I'm just the girl next door, which is what I am, I'm being watched. I'm being watched by those who are younger, and they are looking at me to think, okay, this is truth. This is working in her life. And so Jesus says himself 
in Matthew 18:6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. In Mark 9:42, Jesus says, but whoever causes one of the little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him that a millstone was hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. And I'm going to read it in Luke as well because I think Jesus means it. Three of the Gospels. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than who should offend one of these little ones. Wow. I mean, not just our own children, but other people. And so sometimes we think, well, I don't have my game on or, you know, I'm going to make those real serious decisions about, you know, this whole Jesus thing. I'm not, I'm going to make those later. I'm just busy with life, and i got things going on. And I, Well, people are watching you, and you're actually held accountable by what you take in from the Bible and what you just push out and the conversations that you have and the people that are watching you that are thinking, you know, this is a pretty neat person, and they're watching you, and they are emulating you, especially the younger ones. And then Jesus said, it would be better to have a millstone around your neck than to cause one of them to stumble just because you don't want to figure it out, just because you don't want to receive all that I have for you, or just because you're going to create your own God. Let me tell you the seriousness of that. Some seekers are afraid of hell but not sure of heaven. (laughs) I don't know why that category kind of makes me laugh, but I think that that's been... Very often in years past, um, uh, uh, maybe even a different generation, but they know in their hearts that Jesus is Son of God, but they want a quick fix, a life insurance policy stating that they have said the sinner's prayer and they've received Jesus. They seek no more than an entry to heaven after they die. They don't want to be bothered with, quote-unquote, religious things while here on earth. Okay, so I received Jesus, but I don't want to really get to know him. I don't really want the relationship. And I could just not, I mean, I could stop right here and just say all the things you're missing and not having a relationship with Jesus and having the Holy Spirit and having someone to talk to all the time and expecting miraculous things to happen throughout your day and to be put at the right place at the right time with the right people to do the right thing and just to, just to, that loneliness just fades because you know you are right there with God. And it's not because you're good. It's because you are sure and you develop that relationship with him um, and spent time with him. And some of that spending time is just going kind of like, God, you already know everything, so do I really have to talk? And sometimes I just get quiet and just... It's going to be hard for you all to believe, but just listen, you know? There's one time that God showed me so many things in a row that were wrong with me and wrong with what I was doing and wrong with my life and wrong with my heart that I got to the point where I was just said, I disagree with you, God. I disagree with you, God. Because I I couldn't even think of a way to change them, you know? It was just like, I disagree. I disagree with you, God. And I had, like, such a lightness that day. And God eventually changed those things. And now I'm sure he's working on other things. But maybe I needed that reminder to say, I disagree with you. I agree with you, God. You know what? In James, 
it says basically that this kind of seeker, it doesn't really work to just have an uh, insurance policy of Jesus because what you believe really comes out in, in your life. And they call it faith versus works. And we know we're saved by faith. We're saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But what someone really believes will come out in their life. I mean, what someone really um, enjoys and puts um, emphasis on might come out in their checkbook. I mean, you, you know how you'll say, well, everybody sends money differently. Well, what someone really believes will come out. And you won't, if there was a rattlesnake in the middle of this room and Sue was going to walk towards me and I knew there was, I'd be like, Sue, stop, sit down. There really is a rattlesnake in the middle of this room. But I wouldn't just go, well, maybe Sue, you know, doesn't believe there is. So I'll just let her sit there and get bitten, you know. So we just want to look at the verses in James because they're very important. James 2.14 says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he doesn't have works, a lifestyle that reflects his faith? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things that are needed for the body, what does that profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. But someone may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe that and tremble. And I want you to just think about that. He's saying, even the demons believe there is one God. And actually, even the demons knew Jesus. So it's not just knowing Jesus is God's son. It's making him the Lord of your life. They had made Lucifer, the fallen angels, had made Lucifer the Lord of their lives. So it's not a mental ascent of like, oh, I do believe Jesus is God's son. Well, here we see in James, and he says it rather bluntly, so do the demons. We are needing to make him Lord of our life so that we can receive from him and, and walk with him and have a relationship with him. And there's a huge difference in that in just simply believing. But what do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith is without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working perfectly with his works? And that by works, faith was perfect. And the scriptures were fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not my faith alone. And, it, and, and really, James will just go, goes on to describe different things. But it's obvious to us, you know, what you really believe you're going to do. And so I could talk all day long. I could be a marriage counselor and say, you know, marriage is so important and spending time with your husband is so important and, you know, listening to them is so important. But if I'd ever did it and all of you knew I never did it, you'd be like, she didn't really believe that. Or she's deceived, you know? And so we can also go, you know, God, I, I know, you know, reading your Bible is, is, is so important because it, it brings me closer to you and, 
praying to you, you know, lifts up my burdens to you, and then you can speak to me. And it's so important for me to engage in this relationship with you. Well, if you don't do it, you're deceived. And that's really what I think the word comes. You know, the Bible says the word is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut through joint and marrow to get to the heart of a man. I think that's when the word comes out, the deception our own deception starts to fall away. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want happy, friendly sermons as much as the word, the word, the word. And I want the word in my life because I want that flesh cut away. And I want there to be no separation between me and God. And I want his help on this earth, frankly. I I want to have the life that he died to give me. So those are the seekers that are afraid of hell but not sure of heaven, and they just want a life insurance policy. And as you can see, it doesn't really it doesn't work that way. Um, and then there are some, just as his first disciples, who seek Jesus and truth. Remember, Jesus said, "What do you seek?" And basically, even though they said, "Where are you going?" or or asked him where he would be. What they were really saying is, we just want to be near. just want to be with you. And so I just wanted to know this morning, just if you'll think in your own heart, if Jesus asks you the question, what do you seek? What's really the answer? I mean, in your own heart, I just want to be near. Others, like the first disciples, realize that their own sinfulness and depravity, they need God to change their hearts. That's like me. I mean, I just want to be near God. I know the nearer I am to you, the more joyful I am. I know from experience, the nearer I am to you, the safer I am. I know the nearer I am to you, the more things make sense. I know the nearer I am to you, I just want to be near and that was their answer. Jesus is a person. He, he's not a religion that you can take and leave or a religion that you walk away from on Sunday. And, and it's his first disciples even that show you that they literally went and just lived with him. They just lived with him. He's not someone just to emulate or someone to call upon in times of, of joy or great trouble. He's a person to be with. All the time. And that is a message that I really want everyone's heart to hear. And to ask ourselves and be honest with ourselves, which it hurts. It hurts to sometimes go, wow, which which one of those seekers am I? It can hurt. But I would rather have someone hurt me with the truth than to just, you know totally ruin my life with a lie making me feel good and i would rather have the truth and have it in love than have someone say oh just say that little prayer and you'll be fine and there has to be a heart desiring jesus i need to be where you are and sometimes you know what sometimes it just simply starts with a heart of I don't know that I want to be where I am, you know? It doesn't always have to start with, Jesus, I want to be where you are. It sometimes starts with a heart of like, 
I'm not at peace. I mean, I'm smiling and I'm driving down the road and I'm going to go to this meeting and I'm going to smile and go to the grocery store and I'm going to go on this trip and smile, but I'm not really at peace. Jesus, I need to be where you are. You're the prince of peace. Jesus, I need to be where you are. You show me my own life. In, in, the, in the book of, is it Colossians, it tells us that our life is revealed in Christ Jesus, that our very lives, our personalities, our lives, our past, present, future, who we really are is ultimately revealed through Christ Jesus. So the more we know of Jesus, the more we know of ourselves. Otherwise, a lot of people can go through life and be in their 70s and 80s and 90s, and I know this because some of them are Lacey's clients, and say, I don't really even know who I am. I don't really even know what I think. I just went along with this or that or, you know. And, and, And why not start now where it's like, Jesus, I don't know where I've been, but I know I want to be with you now. And he wants to be with you. And he knows you. You don't have to explain anything to him because you're his daughter and he already knows it. Just the closest person you can think of on earth that might understand the situation in your life is nothing compared to Christ who sees it all, who knows it all, and who experienced those same temptations and feelings as a man, as a human being. And he sits at the right hand of God the Father, ready for us to say, you know, I just want to be near you, God. We hope that you've enjoyed Kathleen's message. To order a copy of this and other messages, please call us in San Antonio, Texas at 210-822-5500 or toll free outside the San Antonio area, 877-397-7773. That's 1-877-397-7773. Visit our website, KathleenWitten.org, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-W-H-I-T-T-E-N.org. Thank you.